A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the game Euro 2022. Coming up, England are flying into the knockout stages where they'll face Spain next. How big a test will it be for Serena Wiegmann's side? Can anyone stop their momentum? We'll also be talking about the other quarterfinal coming up on Thursday between Germany and Austria. Are the Germans, aside from England, the team to beat in this competition? And can Austria create another shock in this tournament? We'll also be talking about ACL injuries after another big name is ruled out of the rest of the tournament. This is the game. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Molly Hudson and Gregor Robertson of The Times and of course the former England captain Casey Stoney. We're back with you in great mood once again. I'm in denial. Any conversation around England possibly losing a match is banned from this podcast as far as I'm concerned. Flying, still flying after the 5-0 win against Northern Ireland. Three games, three wins, 14 goals scored, zero conceded. Uh, of course, we've already faced Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland, but it sets up a quarterfinal against the pre-tournament favourites in the shape of Spain. They won two of their three matches in the group stage against Denmark and Finland, beaten 2-0 by Germany as well. We're going to look ahead to that game as well as the other quarterfinal that comes up on Thursday. But listen, let's look ahead to Wednesday first, that game in Brighton. The Spain coach, Casey, calling it the toughest game in the Euros right now. Uh, For you, are England the team to stop? Yeah, absolutely. They're absolutely flying. They're a joy to watch. I think the confidence is growing all the time. The fact they've kept three clean sheets, they're scoring goals, they look fluid. Even without the coach being there the other day, you know, they still looked fluid. I know they had to be a little bit patient and I thought Northern Ireland stayed in the game really well and really resilient for for large periods. But I think England have now firmly moved to favourites. I think they'll go into this game having watched Spain confident without being, you know, arrogant or expecting to win. They know they're going to have to work very hard to win this game. But yeah, I'm so excited because I genuinely think they are the ones to stop, you know, probably other than Germany, really. Talk to me about belief, because I think England have forged that now. Any sort of question marks after that first match and the way that was a bit of a stilted performance seemed to have been, you know, totally evaporated. Um, In your experience as a player, how important do you think belief is? Because it has been said previously that maybe that is something that England have lacked in their, their major tournaments. Yes, huge. You only have to take the United States as an example on the, the amount of tournaments they've won. And they go into it expecting to win, wanting to win and have the belief they could win. And, you know, arguably sometimes they've won because they're probably fitter than most teams and going to overrun them. But I look at England now and I look at momentum 
and they are, you know, they, they, they're playing like a team that knows they can score goals, that knows that they can keep, keep clean sheets. They, the way they are using the ball through the furs, the way they're fluid. Uh, and I thought it was, it was great to see different goal scorers the other night as well. I think that have an impact and give everybody confidence. So, yeah. And I think, you know, I think she, Serena's been shrewd in terms of like, she doesn't tend to change things. She didn't when she managed the Dutch team. She keeps a consistent eleven, and then she she allows players to come into the game and, and do what they can do. So, yeah, belief is massive as a player. When you go into games, you know they kind of have a bit of an invincibility about you. I think if they can go ahead in a game and stay ahead, they'll get even more belief. Molly, what are your thoughts on on England at the moment? Have they moved to favourites for you? I think it's but uh, I think it is between England and Germany. Um, I think maybe. A few people, myself included, maybe underestimated Germany a little bit going into this tournament. Um, but ultimately, it's a major tournament. It's Germany, and you just can't do that. I think they've looked fantastic. I think I was I I went to to Germany, Spain the other day, and I was really really happy that, that Germany beat Spain, which meant they topped the group, and we didn't have to play them. Um, and obviously, now England can't play Germany until the final. Um, assuming both of them get there. So that's massive, I think, in terms of the, the route that we'll have. It gives us the chance to grow into the tournament because as good as those group stages have been, I think it's fair to say this is going to be a completely different challenge, even though there are there are weaknesses in the Spain side. I think they are maybe not quite as good as we perhaps thought they might be going into this tournament, but I, I think it will still be a, a significant step. So... Yeah, I'm. You were saying kind of all talk of uh, of England losing is banned, but I'm. I think it's the Englishness Englishness in me. I'm a bit worried that it's all going too well. It just feels like it's going very smooth. <laughs> all is good, you know. We've been playing well. Even the defence that we was a bit worried about of of kept clean sheets. It can't. It can't be this easy, can it? <laughs> Are you half well, Scottish, Molly? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just been burnt one too many times. That's what it is. Well, this is the thing. It's been said about so many teams, so many major tournaments, right, about getting that real test in before you, you know, the group stage can be important if you have a tough match. And that was meant to be Norway, right? It was meant to be the big test and England scored eight goals and it was no test whatsoever. Um, whether they might hit that 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 brick wall, if you like, facing a Spain, a step up in quality and maybe be a little bit shocked by it. Do you, do you see any chance of that happening, Gregor? I don't think they'll be shocked by anything Spain have uh, to offer, judging judging Spain by what we've seen so far in the tournament. I just haven't watched England. I just feel, and, you know, the rest of the tournament, I just kind of see them doing things that other teams aren't, really. Be that the quality of the goals, uh, the energy, the pressing, the kind of dynamism, and actually, Germany aside, the strength and depth that they have. I've not seen anything that's on the same level yet, so I understand why I'm always saying, you know, it's all going slightly too well, but... There's no doubt about that for me. I mean, when you look at some of the goals, Russo's goal, little swivel, wow, against Northern Ireland. Mead's goal, when he, when, which he chopped onto her left and edge of the box and finish. And, and Kirby's kind of controlled finish into the top corner. It, these are great, great goals. And, um, and they can come from a lot of different places too. So, yeah, I mean, again, I understand why Molly's slightly, um, you know, hesitant to get too carried away, but the evidence um, means that supporters should be getting really excited, I think. With the the greater expectation, though, I think will come greater pressure. So, Casey, how how do you cope with that, especially being in the tournament bubble? 
Yeah, I think the thing you are, you can protect yourself from that. You know, I remember being in major tournaments where you don't turn your phone on in terms of social media and you protect yourself from the noise and you just encapsulate yourself in what you're doing right now because what you're doing right now is the only thing that matters and the next game is the only thing that matters and they won't be looking any further than that. And I think the way you do it is you you, you make sure you, you shut out everything else and you just focus on the next game and, you know, you see your loved ones and your family and you're very I, – I gave my loved ones a very clear message when I saw them. I don't want to know anything that's being said outside. Let's just take away the ball and just be a family when they come over because otherwise they can be the ones that fill your head full of stuff. So I think you can protect yourself. And I think if England just focus on what they're good at, I think if they get all over Spain and press them really aggressively, really high, I think they can massively stifle Spain's rhythm and they are susceptible. You know, you look at how they've conceded goals, they're susceptible from playing out from the back as well. So I think so. anytime Spain have the ball, I think England will see it as an opportunity when they're pressing and also an opportunity in transition because both the centre-backs are susceptible down the sides and in between. So, yeah, they'll have to be disciplined and controlled, but what an opportunity to get out there with with the home fans and, and get another win. It, it might be about character, might be about personality as well. Molly, from the, the players within this England squad that you've met and, and interviewed, how do you think they will be feeling going going into this in, in terms of all the added expectation? Yes. Added pressure? Yes. Um, but all eyes on them now as we reach the knockout stages and, and of course, no room for error. I think someone like Kira Walsh is a fantastic kind of display of this that she went into her first major tournament in 2019 she found it really difficult I think you know as Casey said you you turn your phone off and you don't look at social media she didn't do that in 2019 and she got quite overwhelmed by it you know she got a lot of criticism and then we've seen her in this tournament she's a lot more prepared you know uh, I interviewed her the other day and she she spoke about speaking to a psychologist and really working on that side of her game and I think she is a prime example of someone that's been fantastic in this tournament so far, probably one of the most underrated players in the tournament. She's got that experience. Now, I know there are a number of players that have now come into this as their first. I think it's nine players in the squad. It's their first first tournament. But I think what the Greek stages have done is they've really kind of warmed in England into this nicely because there was that bit of pressure and that bit of stress and expectation in the opening game, but then it's been really free scoring. We've seen players come off the bench and get their first taste of tournament football. And I think it's just a really good feeling around the squad. And it's easy to say that in a major tournament, but I think speaking to the players, you know, being in and around their camp at the Lensbury, everything is just really relaxed. and They're just having a really good time. And it feels like, there is a bit of that expectation that has been relieved by the fact that Serena was so well prepared for this because of what happened with the Netherlands, because she'd experienced a home tournament. That was probably, of all the on-pitch preparation, there's probably been nearly as much gone into, right, how do we deal with this expectation and how do we make it really the the 12th player, you know, the, the thing that can make us win it instead of it being the thing that can make us lose it because we're so scared of it. And that from the very moment that Serena came in is something that she got across to us as the media, she got it across to the players. And I think the FA have done a really good job as well. Like one of the really simple things they've taken, they've got a member of staff to sort tickets for players like families so that the player doesn't have to stress about that. That's just taken out of their hands and they really then can focus, as Casey says, purely on the football. They don't have to worry about anything else. So I think... In that sense, this is definitely the best prepared an English team has ever been for that expectation, I think. 
Casey, what do you think about what Serena Wiegmann has been doing? Just to pick up on what, what Molly has said there, obviously you're coaching now. Is this one of the things, one of the many things now on the list of the modern coaches to-do list? You know, you're not just coaching players. It's not just get on with it, get out there, play, focus on the football. You know, there is a lot of management around psychology, like Molly's mentioned already, coping with the expectation and pressure, bringing your different experience to it, of, of course, but also those minor things like, yeah, you're right, it's a bit of a distraction to sort out tickets for your families. How, how do you describe or, or rate what's going on within the England setup right now when it comes to Serena Vigman's team? In fairness, credit to the FA, they've always done that. They've always had somebody that's looked after friends and family, and I think that's a huge part, you know, especially when we've been abroad. I think with Serena, she's direct but calm, and I think that's a real good way of being within a tournament. She's The fact that she can set it up that she's not even at the game and the team is still performing the way they are. You know, she's not a she's a sit-down coach, you know, perhaps done during the week. She's very um, clear about what she wants, how she wants the players to play, and... She's just really down to earth and really kind of grounded and she keeps the team grounded. You know, I think she relieves the pressure that way. Um, they know exactly what they want, what she wants from them. She's very black and white in that sense. You know, she doesn't change the team, so everybody knows their expectation and she can manage that. I think I think the hard thing, especially about being a manager, is the X and O's are one things, but it's how you make players feel when they go out there and they have to perform, how are they feeling when they step on that pitch? And I think she has the ability to go set them up, that they know what they're doing, but they have the absolute belief that they can go out and win the game. And that is a real special talent as a head coach. Okay, let's take a look at the game then. I think we've had a look at some of the aspects around the match, but specifically, let's talk about Spain, Gregor, without Jenny Hermoso, especially without the best player in the world, Alexia Pateas. How has Spain done so far for you? Pretty underwhelming, to be brutally honest. I mean, the main thing is their kind of struggles in front of goal. They scored 48 goals in, in qualifying. And look, clearly the two players you've mentioned there, one's their top scorer and one is largely, you know, she's the best player in the world, really. So you're going to miss them. <laughs> but not, I think it's not just missing those individuals. It's what it's done to the rest of the team. It's kind of thrown out of sync a bit. I think uh, Jorge Vilda's kind of tried several different things in terms of moving players around in midfield. And, you know, I, I saw a table today, actually, that was that was saying it, it showed the players with the most goal involvements in the Spanish league last season. Two of them uh, in the top, who are in the top five are, are on Spain's bench. Uh, I'm not sure I'll get these, these names right. Amaya Sarehi for Real Sociedad. She was involved in 26 goals last season. Claudia Pina, uh, 25. They were third and fourth in that list. Patelis is top, and Lika Martins, who's Dutch, was, was second. So Pina has played 32 minutes of football, and today he's not stepped off the bench. And there's, you know, I think there's a bit of sort of unease about some of his decisions so far. And it's not it's not just the loss of those individuals, it's also what that's done to their team, I think. And sometimes he's playing players out of position and things like that. But having said all that, I absolutely love watching Caldente play. She's a kind of master of time and space. <laughs> the way she, in fact, in the build-up to the winner against Denmark, the way she kind of slows down to sort of suck the defender and then and then who's who's kind of running alongside her and then just speeds up. She's brilliant at kind of manipulating space like that and then laid it off for the cross and and the header. Um, so look, Bon Matty as well. They're two outstanding players. Uh, but the main thing is, as I say, their their struggles in front of goal. The the fact that they've scored. 
of their five goals, four have been headers and crosses swung into the box, and the fifth a penalty. That's not Spain. <laughs> that's not that's not what you would expect from Spain. So for all the possession dominance and and the, you know the technical uh, ability. They are really struggling in front of goal. Casey, how do you think England match up against this Spanish style? Well, I think I don't think Serena will change the starting eleven. I think she'll go with her strongest eleven that she has done in the previous games. I think she'll look at it and go, how can we stifle them? You have to be completely in control about the war against Spain. You have to know that your distances are right and you're compact and you have to make sure that if you're going to press, you all go together. I think against Spain, you can press high because they haven't got electric pace in their front line that can hurt you in behind. So you can stifle them in that way. But you know that they're going to keep possession. You know that I would see, see it as an opportunity every time they've got the ball as an opportunity to transition and score because I think their fullbacks are so aggressive with their attacking positions and I think their centre-backs are very susceptible to pace between and down the sides um, and I think you can you can really hurt them in transitional moments so I think Serena will play a high-pressing game I think she'll want to stifle their rhythm and momentum knowing that they can't really hurt you in behind too much um, and also if they do have the ball have players in positions that if England win it they can go forward quickly and they can get in behind and I think that's how you can really hurt Spain. Gregor, in terms of our main threats, the matchups there, key areas of the match where this game will be won and lost. I know Casey's focusing on on the transition there. Clearly, a very good point. Uh, where would you see it, Gregor? I, I kind of agree. I think midfield. I think midfield is going to be very important because of the England's strength being running, basically running all over the opposition, and uh, and that's really a weakness that we've seen so far from Spain in terms of. Not just not just uh, in defence when the players are getting tired. We saw we saw Peniel Harder giving them a difficult time uh, the other night, um, but also kind of in midfield too. I think there's definitely some space to be exploited there. So that for me would be the big big one. And look, just the quality and the form that we've seen from from Mead and Hemp on the wings as well. I think that whoever they face, it's going to be a, a a tough proposition for the for the opposition. Molly, you've done a little bit of research on this. Um, how to beat Spain? You've been asking some players. Tell us more. Yeah, so I, I, I went to the Denmark-Spain Spain game the other night and I think it's a strange thing to say that Denmark, who lost 1-0, offer the, the kind of blueprint as to how to beat Spain. But I think they did. It's just that they didn't have another Peniel Harder or someone else to kind of join her in attack when she got into those spaces. Because the amount of chances they had, I mean, there was a fantastic one in the first half where Peniel Harder had broken through in, in exactly the way that, that we've just described in those transition moments. And she passed a fantastic ball through to, to a midfielder who, who just took too much time on it and, di and didn't get the shot away. And I think what we know from England, as, as Gregor has said, is there's so many ways that we can score and there's so many players that have the ability to do that. I think if England got into those same positions that Denmark did, we would have probably scored three or four goals. And I think I was speaking to Simone Boy, who, who the former Arsenal defender, and we asked her kind of what ways England can challenge Spain. And she said, to be honest with you, uh, sorry, how, how Spain can challenge England. She said, to be honest with you, I don't think Spain played very well. So I'm not sure where Spain can challenge England because they, they weren't very good. And that's someone who has just, just lost to them, got out to them. So I think... There are weaknesses, and I think that what Gregor was saying about the midfield battle is, is quite interesting because for me, you could almost afford to lose the midfield battle because your defence, your, your back our defence to stop the attack because that's their weakness. They don't have that incision in attack. But also, you'd back 
the forwards to, to find those spaces on transition. So I think you look at Bonmati again, like Gregor said, and Mariona, who are fantastic, fantastic players. And on paper, you might say they're better than our midfield, but I don't think it matters because where Spain have struggled is to to get past that. They haven't they having all this possession. Bonmati's everywhere. But then where does the ball go after that? And I think that's the bit that, that Spain haven't quite figured out. So I think we don't need to worry too much. Let let them have the possession in midfield. Let Bonmati and Mariona have the ball as long as we then don't get kind of, I suppose, fall asleep is the main thing when you're playing Spain because they've got so much possession. You have to always be on it. You have to always be aware that one of those times they could find that pass. They could find that killer pass because... I was speaking to someone this morning. I was saying, you know, I'm trying not to get too carried away because you look at that Spanish team on paper and they have fantastic players. You know, they're more than capable of playing very good football and scoring goals. They just haven't. And I think it's just, it's about not being too complacent. And, and as Casey said, I don't think, um, I don't think Serena will allow the players to be complacent. It's very worrying. It's very worrying, Molly. It's, this is exactly what you were pointing at at the start of this podcast. It does all seem a little bit too easy. I'm listening to this. And I almost want to get my, my run down to the bookmakers. I mean, it sounds like England, there's no chance we're going out at this point in time. Is there any area, Casey, that you think England need to improve on or be overly concerned about, more concerned about going into this game? Areas of improvement? Because like I say, they've, they've played so well, they almost haven't been tested though. No, and I think the fact that Spain have scored four goals from headers. And also, I think they've looked quite threatening, Spain, from set pieces. And historically, England have been quite weak at defending corners. So that would be somewhere that I think would be a real focus point for me to make sure that we don't... The one way you don't want to concede against Spain is a set piece. If they open you up and they've had fantastic play, sometimes you've got to accept it. But if it's a corner, then I'd be obviously disappointed. And I was speaking to Molly earlier, I was saying a key battle for me that I'm really excited about is Lauren Hemp versus Anya Batty. Because... Obviously, I managed Anna and she had real troubles against Lauren in, in most of the league campaign games. So I'm interested to see that battle because I think whoever wins that, you know, will end up winning that side of the pitch. And I think that could be key to, to England's success, but also knowing that England can score different types of goals. I think the crossing element is something for me that I think we'll need to be really concerned about the first and second phase, if we can win first contacts, because Spain are actually very good on second phase too. So I think it's nullifying that threat because, you know, I don't think, like I said earlier, I don't think I've got anybody who's really going to be direct and hurt you 1v1 or in behind spaces. But if they get your ball into your box and you don't defend crosses well, and we've sometimes been, I think, susceptible in those areas, I think that's the threat that, that England could face. Gregor, can you answer the question on how to beat England then? Is it is it possible for Spain? Of course it's possible. I mean, I, I, I found myself nodding along to Molly there when she was talking about the kind of, you have to be on it all the time because they have got... Like typically of Spain, those, those finding those little pockets in front of space in front of the box and looking to play little one twos or the number of times I've seen Caldente again, I just love watching her play. She kind of drifted in towards the box and laying it wide, and it's either that ball in or the, having no one on the end of that ball in. It's been their problem, and as Molly says, that could you know they, they have the capability to to score goals like that. Um, so yeah, of course there's there's threats to be wary of. Let's let's not get too carried away here. But it's just that England have. I, I do also think that you know the cross is, is a good is a good uh, a good point as well because I, I think I think uh, Millie Bright getting has been outstanding so far and I think there's been a few times where there have been sort of half clearances and things that required some really good defending and I think that'll probably be needed again. So 
I still think that England are, are going into it as, as real favourites. And I think, you say they've not been tested, I think possibly you'll kind of retrospectively look at the Austria game and say that was your test. That was your test so far. They're, Austria have uh, been really good. They've conceded one goal and I think we're going to come to talk about them later against Germany, but I watched them against Norway the other night and they're a good team. So I think that'll be looked back on whatever the outcome of the tournament, I think and say that was probably your biggest test in the group as much as you wouldn't have thought so. Well, there's another interesting element of that because, of course, that first match against Austria was at Old Trafford. And I wondered whether the games at St Mary's, they'll they'll be back in Brighton at Fulmer for this game, um, whether that makes a difference to this England side, um, whether maybe it's a little bit easier, a little bit freer for them to play in a smaller stadium, maybe the part of the pressure of that opening game and maybe the performance that... Um, we we weren't hoping for in that first match, despite the result. You know, we didn't get the goals that many people dreamt of. Came down to the fact that maybe there's a little bit more pressure with with seventy thousand people watching you. I wonder what you thought about that, Casey. Yeah, and and that's that's one of the things that you know we need to be really appreciative is that the game has grown so fast and so quickly. Sometimes you're a victim of your own success, and we talk about Kira Walsh in 2019 not being able to cope with that scrutiny. It's because because women's games never had it. They've never had these crowds, never had this scrutiny. So all of a sudden you're putting players in a position they've never experienced before. So, you know, having those crowds, I think they've, the good thing is they've built rhythm and they've built momentum and they've faced it now. So they've had those big crowds, they've got through it, they know how to get through it and they just need to continue to do that. You know, and I think obviously those those crowds have really got behind them. And I think scoring early goals sometimes for England is really helpful. You know, and in those games where they've they've gone on and been successful, they get an early goal and you can almost see they grow, the confidence grows, crowd gets behind them. So you know, an early goal against Spain would really give them the I think the belief and the and the momentum to continue to go on and win. Right. We we love a prediction on this podcast, Casey. Greg and Molly, I'll come to you in a second. How do you think the game will go? Two one England. Molly? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm sort of tempted. I am after, after really saying that, you know, we're, we're getting too ahead of ourselves. It would be pretty amazing if we kept a clean sheet still, you know, got to the semi final of a tournament without conceding a goal. So I'm going to go 2-0. Gregor? I'm going 3-0. Oh, okay. I know. I think Spain will score a goal. I just have a feeling that they will. But I think England will score a few. I'm going to go 3-1 in this one right so if England get knocked out we're probably going to cancel the next episode of the podcast because that was a full house right (laughs) nothing for us to debate we'll all be in hiding if England don't go through listen I think it's going to be another special game in this Euros which has been fantastic so far and we will react to that of course we will yeah the next time we speak to you in fact which should be on Thursday and plenty more still to come from the game podcast we'll talk ACL injuries we'll also look ahead to Germany against Austria in the quarterfinals Our thanks to Casey Stoney, who's had to dart. Uh, she's got to do the school run. All right, so she's gone for now, but she will be back with us very soon on the game podcast. And there is still uh, plenty for us to discuss. Her column in the Times at the moment, um, Molly, I know you've just spoken to her about it, is on ACL injuries, yeah, knee ligament injuries. And we've seen a few of them, high profile ones in the tournament so far. Obviously, Alexia Pateas on the eve uh, of the competition, Simone McGill of Northern Ireland, now Marie Antoinette Katoto of France, all missing out on the tournament or missing the remainder of the tournament due to that severe knee ligament injury, which um, some studies suggest is four to six times more common in female sports people. What I mean, it is a problem, isn't it? It has been a problem in terms of, of women's football. Um, I know people have spoken before about 
Um, the differences in pitches as well, artificial versus versus grass pitches. Uh, Molly, from the people that you've spoken to, uh, how big a problem is this for women's football? What can be done? I think it's a massive problem. And I think, sadly, it's not one that's going away. Um, I think, you know, I was just speaking to Katie about the fact that ultimately is because of differences in biology. You know, w- women's hips are wider, which means that when you put your your foot into the floor when you're running or, or when you're going into a tackle, your, your knee is at a slightly different angle because you're starting off from a wider base with your hips. So I think it, it is a problem. It is more common for women. And I think it was it was interesting speaking to Casey about um, about the work that she did at Manchester United um, with the physio there and how much of it you can actually try and prepare against. And I think that's probably the biggest area. There's not going to be any massive cure. There's There have been strides in surgery and it's, it's better now than it was several years ago. But, you know, when you do your ACL, you are going to be out for months and that's something you can't change. But it was very interesting to hear kind of the the work you can do in building up all of the muscles around the knee, your glutes, which can have, which can have a big impact, your quads, just trying to make everything around the kind of knee stronger to try and stop that happening. And I think that that's so important alongside the kind of mental aspect of, of your ACL because Casey, Casey never did hers in her career and, and thankfully she's, she hasn't managed anybody that has, but... She was saying she remembers when when Eartha Pond, who was a you know leading footballer back then, did hers at Charlton, and and you just know you know chances are it, it's a it's a non-contact you know it very rarely happens in a tackle, and a player goes down you just know like oh no it's an ACL, and I think it's just it's just about it is more research we do need more research clearly but I think it's also recognizing that there are things you can do there are you know rehabs and and kind of prehab, in fact, that you can do to try and prevent this from happening. And I think that's the most important thing that as sports science develops in the women's game, which it has massively over the last kind of decade or so, that that's a real area of, of focus that we don't just think, well, we can't do too much about it. And particularly the, the ACLs in this tournament, Casey was talking about the potential influence of, of overload for players. A lot of them have, have come off the back of the Champions League they're they're going to be playing in in summer tournaments for for a lot of the next couple of years. Obviously, we we had the Olympics last year. Now we've got this tournament next summer is the World Cup. There's a lot of back to back tournaments and very little rest for players. So I think it's it's working out how best to manage that load and how best to make sure that that all of those things, all of that research, the scans for the players, are all looking for this sort of so early because if you can see that it's a weakness then you can try and combat it and another thing is is the the correlation to the menstrual cycle and at, at times of the menstrual cycle you're you're more likely your your ligaments are actually softer and it, and as Casey said it, it's it's not as as simple as going right you can't play this week because you're on your period but there's things you can do to to kind of combat that and and help that so at least I think it's just about the 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 awareness and it is a very 
very complicated issue, but it's a real step forward to see that we are now recognizing these issues and, and hopefully finding a way to kind of minimize it because it's never going to go away completely. I think it's also incumbent on the people that, that run football. We've seen it in other areas of the men's game. You know, I, I think they are happy to put money behind academic research and studies. We've seen plenty when we come when it comes to things like um, heading the ball. We've seen big news around youngsters um, this week. The FA saying that under 12s football won't have deliberate heading in, involved. They're going to run a trial. I think it is incumbent on the bodies that run football, not just the FA. I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about European world football as well, um, to make sure that we have further research into the things that you've just just mentioned there. Is that what it's about for you, Gregor? Um, just learning more? Absolutely. Uh, it's a complicated one, this. And there, I don't know if you, either of you guys watched the um, Alex Scott's documentary, the kind of state of, state of the nation in women's football before the tournament on, on BBC. And... There was a bit that struck me from when she she went to visit uh, Manchester City's academy, and she spoke to a couple, you know, a couple of highly thought of academy players. She spoke to uh, the academy director there. I think was her former coach at Arsenal, um, and it, it kind of struck me there that you know she was saying there that the game is you know we've seen it transform over and over the last four or five years, and more and more players who are developed in that, in that kind of environment are going to kind of accelerate that that development even more but the thing with the thing with this is part of it seems to be that playing professional and 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 the workload's been increased to such an extent is putting more strain on 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 the body but conversely when you're when you're when you when you're professional and you're working in uh, the you know an elite environment and you've got all the, the strength and conditioning coaches and all that kind of thing that is going to make players better prepared i think in the future too do you understand what i'm saying as a kind of contrast yeah. there and you know i i think that women's football is on a journey to towards kind of yes there needs to be research in terms of the kind of medical side of this but in terms of Women, you know the strength around the knee that, that's, that Molly was talking about there, and the prehab work and all that kind of stuff. Because football is now more professional and reaching the same sort of levels of expertise as as in, in the men, men's game at the at the top level at least, these things I think will be will be tackled and 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 uh, hopefully we will see an improvement in the in the coming years. Molly, what do you think about the, about the funding, for example, particularly when it comes to the biggest bodies in, in world football? Because ultimately their product um, has been damaged by great players missing out because of this injury, which is a very common one. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a big problem, particularly for, for clubs maybe at the bottom end of the Women's Super League. And you're looking at the Women's Championship who have you know teams like Crystal Palace, Sheffield United. These teams very often offer very short-term contracts so you know mo most the majority of players you know over 50 percent of players in the women's game are on one-year deals so if you then do your acl it midway through a season not only are you looking at you know not being able to play for six to nine months you know longer than that and how that affects you mentally but then you've also got to find another club and your kind of employment has ended halfway through that period so i think Ultimately, it always does come down to funding. I think in a lot of areas of the women's game, you could say that, that it kind of needs improving. I think it's interesting what Gregor was saying about the fact that, you know, it's changing because there's professional players. It's also changing because 
we don't have a research. It, it's okay saying let's do more research, but we don't have players that have been high level professionals for any period of time to do that research on. This is, it's almost like a, a kind of guinea pig kind of period right now. It's like, so what happens when a player has to play X amount of games a season and then play internationally? We haven't had that before. So we don't know what that load does to the knee. So I think it will, it's also a matter of time. You know, the, the longer this happens, the more we'll understand it. And I think when Jordan Nobbs did her ACL in 2019, she was talking about the fact that she's sure it was related to her period. But just two years on from from Nobbs's injury, there's so much more research that's been done and we have so much more clarity. So I think it will be a matter of time, quite simply. Yeah, and, and, and another thing is, and I know it's a strange thing to say, but these injuries happening uh, at the major tournaments when there are, you know, 20 cameras in a stadium help the sports science scientists to analyze exactly how they happen as well, because they can see it from every single angle. And obviously the more of them that happen in a, in a strange way, perverse way, gives them more information with which to do analysis. And that is an important thing um, for the future as well. And uh, look, we could keep talking about this. There are so many different dynamics to it, but if you want to read more and find out exactly what Casey Stoney had to say about the level of ACL injuries uh, in women's sport, then you can check it out on the Times app right now. Uh, coming up next, we'll be talking about the quarterfinal between Germany and Austria. So we've had a look at the first quarterfinal in the Euros between England and Spain. The second one comes on Thursday, Germany taking on Austria. We will, by the way, on Thursday, take a look at the second uh, two, if you like, second two quarterfinals coming up uh, later on this week. But Germany against Austria wants to give you plenty of time to have a listen and think about what's going to happen in that game. And we, we referenced the Germans a little bit earlier on, didn't we? Um, and, and the strength that they've shown so far in this tournament. And you're right, Molly, a lot of people were slightly underrating them. Let's talk in detail about what they, what, what sort of prospect they are then. What Germany has evolved during their first uh, three games? I think what's been so impressive about them is is you look at two of the midfielders that they're missing, Melanie Leupold, the Chelsea midfielder, um, who's expecting her first baby, and Jennifer Marajan, who is injured. And their midfield is still probably the the probably the best in the tournament. And, and you're talking about two midfielders there that you're missing that would pretty much walk into any midfield in this tournament. I think it's absolutely extraordinary what we've seen from them and the strength and depth that they have. I mean, we saw Germany in the Arnold Clark Cup um, in February, and they had something like 15 of their squad out with, you know, COVID or injury, and they were still kind of competing with with all of the teams in that tournament, which is, which is amazing, really. And I think, you know, we saw against Spain, they have that experience and they have that decisiveness that, that we've said that Spain struggle with. They find a way to win. They have big game experience. And I think it will suit them that that people maybe wrote them off a little bit. I think going into every tournament, Germany are always favourites. And and the fact that they weren't out and out favourites in this one is probably suiting them that, you know, they've kind of got through that group pretty easily. Now they'll they've got a kind, I think, kind draw for the quarterfinals. And I think I definitely think they're the biggest threat to England if, if we look at the tournament as a whole. Uh, Gregor, Germany so far, 4-0 win over Denmark, 2-0 win over Spain, 3-0 win over Finland. Uh, no goals conceded so far. Is that their strength defensively? 
I mean, it's all a strength. <laughs> you, you know, that was actually one of their... Also, you're, we're saying that people kind of were under, underestimating Germany. I think they were really under, underestimating themselves. I was at the first game, the Germany-Denmark uh, game, and I, I remember speaking to, to a journalist in the press book beforehand, and, and she was like, we really don't know what to expect. They're not, they didn't make it to the Olympics because of their performance in the 2017 uh, Euros. Uh, they've not, you know, they've not actually played that much, and as Molly said, they've missed a lot of players in the Arnold Cup. They didn't know, and it was, I've even 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 saw kind of uh, quotes from from Vos Tecklenburg beforehand saying we're not really entirely sure what what to expect. So I don't think it was just us, um, <laughs> and so they'll be as surprised as us. Really, They're, they've they've been outstanding. They were they were absolutely brilliant that that game. I saw them live and. Um, just in every department. Lena, Lena Mag- Mago was the was the star. She was she was she did a remarkable form and she scored the first, uh, assist for the second. Just a real driving force from midfield. And and as Molly said, you know they're missing those two players. But even Mago was 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 rested for the, for the win uh, against Finland just just the other night. And. They've got great. We've talked about England's balance midfield. They've got great balance. O- Oberdorf is like the general figure at the base of midfield, and Magul and uh, Dabritz is you know they, they're real action, all action quality, te- you know technically quality uh, football players, and on the wing as well they're a huge threat with uh, Huth and Bull. Um, so you know they lost Leah Schuler to to COVID to COVID nineteen. She tested positive, but she should be back, I think. Um, and in her place, Alexandra Pop has stepped in and uh, possibly made made that central striker role her own because and she's kind of making up for lost time after missing the last two Euros through through injury. So they're very hard to pick a weakness in Germany. They they are undoubtedly, if we're talking about you know about England being the favourites, they are kind of alongside them in my view. Molly, Alexandra Pop, I did want to focus in on her. I know, I know Greg has said she's, she's basically made that central striker position her own. Maybe the focus ahead of this one will be on her. Um, if she starts three goals so far, is that the main threat in an attacking sense through the middle? I think it is. And, and I think she is a prime example of somebody that, that brings that experience. I mean, Gregor mentioned um, Lena Oberdorf, who is you know, a really key part of that midfield, but she, she's still only 20, I think. And I think that's what this Germany team has done really well. There's, there's the, the fantastic Germany teams of the past and they're in a little bit of a transition period. And I think that's one of the reasons people weren't, weren't too sure about what they'd bring. And I think somebody like Pop, as we say, she didn't come into this as the first choice striker, really. It was Schuller. But she's performed so well. I mean, I was writing a piece on, on Beth Mead this morning about kind of the golden boot race and, and she's got three goals already. So I think a little bit like England with, with Ellen White and Alessia Russo, there's real options there for Germany, you know, whether Voss Tecklenburg chooses to, to put Schuller back in, maybe she can go in for this game and get her fitness back up a little bit, assuming that Germany will win this game against Austria. So I think they have a lot of, of different ways to attack. And I think when you have such a strong base that Germany have, it just gives everyone else more freedom. And I think that that's what Pop has, has kind of benefited from in the group stage. That's absolutely right. They're, they're always, you know, she always makes five subs as well. And the team doesn't seem diminished or, you know, weaker in any any way, shape or form. So again, that's another reason why you put them right beside England is that 
they have players on the bench who can step in and the team doesn't look much weaker at all. It feels a bit like our discussion on England-Spain, um, that, that basically <laughs> Austria have no chance here, but they have surprised us so far. Um, and, and you said earlier on, Gregor, they're a decent side. Can they continue to shock us? Well, the thing, the thing to say about Austria is that they've, they've only conceded one goal in the three games. They've only scored three, but they are hard to break down and hard to beat. And I was at the, the Norway game uh, the other night and they were thoroughly deserving of the win. You know, that was a surprise. That was a shock. We thought Norway after, you know, after the 8-0 mauling at the hands of, of England would, as uh, um, Ada Hegerberg said, kind of show a real face. She said that pre-match, and they they didn't. They were they they were really very kind of very disappointing. And and Aust- but I would give Austria credit for that. They went at them from the start, and um, they had it should have been more than one nil. Manuela Zinsberger made a couple of great saves at the end um, when kind of Norway were throwing the kitchen sink at them. But before then, they should have been out of sight. And they've got, you know, a real goal threat in Nicole Beale up front. She's she's got a, a really good header for uh, for the winner. I think she's the second highest scorer um, of all time for Austria. And she's full of industry as well. And in midfield, Sarah Zadrazil, Bayern Munich midfielder, and uh, Laura Fire. I was actually more impressed with Laura Firesinger. She's she was she was superb. Kind of a bit more advanced and really technically uh, adept player. So they've also got really good spirit. You can see that. That's clear. That even from watching other games on TV, you see them on the pitch beforehand dancing around. They've got these you know, choreographed dances before the game. And after the game, they had a right party. They were doing the conga across the pitch and and, and really celebrating with their fans. And then they gate-crashed the, their manager's press conference at the end and started belting out uh, mm-hmm. strong enough by share, <laughs> which was which was a sight. But you could you could definitely see that they've got a great team spirit. So, look, I would I would be hugely surprised if Germany don't progress in this game. But Austria are a decent side, and as I say, they're they're really hard to break down. And I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for Germany. Do you agree, Molly? Yeah, I think so. And I think that uh, if you if you take the group stage as a good example, you know they're going into a game again like against England, where they were, you know, they weren't the favourites for that game at all, but they found a way to frustrate them. They found a way to keep the scoreline gap down. And they're not going to do what Norway did against England and just kind of sit there and <laughs> watch the, the better attacking players run through them. They're not going to do that. They're going to make it difficult. And I think what we always knew about Austria is that they have a fantastic goalkeeper as well, Emanuela Zinsberger, who, who is the Arsenal goalkeeper. And... I think when you have players like that of quality sprinkled through the team, it can make a huge difference. And, you know, you only need Zinsberger to have a fantastic game. And we've all seen those kind of matches where things just don't fall for you. And I think the front frustration can can really grow. I just wonder if, if Austria will have enough to be the team that is the first to score against Germany. I think they are capable of frustrating. They're capable of sitting back. You know, Zinsberg is capable of stopping some of those shots, but I'm just not sure they've got enough to go up the other hand and and get through the German defence is my only my only kind of problem with them, I suppose. OK, all right. We'll see how that one materialises and whether Germany will lay down a market in the knockout stages um, as well. Um, listen, before we go, um, coming to the end of the group stage, 
I wondered from both of you about your best experience so far in the tournament, how you viewed the tournament as a whole so far. We've seen it break records in terms of attendance as well. Um, Molly, I'll start with you. What stood out to you from what you've seen so far? I think best game, it's very hard to look past England-Norway just for the pure shock factor. You know, I went into that game thinking it was going to be England's biggest test and at half-time it was 6-0 up. I don't think I've ever really... You know, we're, we're, I've been at England games where there's been huge scorelines, but not against a, a nation of the quality of Norway. So I think that was just a kind of surreal moment to be a part of. I think for me, I've done uh, I've done two of the non-England games now and just seeing how many fans are there, it's fantastic. I think we've broken the, the non-host attendance for matches three times in the group stages. We're, we're well over 300,000 300, for attendance in the group stages, which has already smashed the previous record of the entire tournament. I think that has been really impressive. And I think if I want to put a bit of a, a, a negative note on, because, you know, we can't all be positive, I'd like to see a few more television audiences because in comparison to the World Cup, I think we're a little bit down on that. And I think actually this quarterfinal, it's a big team. It's a nation like Spain that a lot of people, you know, see as a football nation. I think that that will get people tuning in. So hopefully that's one that we'll see increase as we get through these knockout stages. But overall, I think it's fantastic. I think we've been fantastic hosts bar a few train problems and this impromptu heat wave that we seem to have, um, which is very un-British. But um, yeah, I think overall it's it's been fantastic. And I think you know, it helps when you've got a host nation that are, that are playing so well. Gregor, what about you? What stood out to you? The atmosphere. It's it's so happy. I know that sounds really simple, but uh, football games I go to week in, week out in the men's game are not, it's not a happy place all the time. It's a, a place where people often go to vent their spleen or to, it's a tribal place. It's it's a diff- completely different atmosphere. And I, I think it's it's fantastic. It's a great experience. Um, I, I would put the England Norway game at the top of that because you know for obvious reasons. But even before beforehand, the kind of energy in the in the stands was was really uplifting actually. And but it's not just been England games. I, as I say, I was at the Germany Denmark game uh, towards the start of the tournament, and the number of Denmark fans there who are you know draped in red, making a great racket, um, and, you know, enjoy, really enjoying themselves there. It's just, it's just a, a really happy and you know, joyous experience, actually. It's been really, been really good. And, you know, I hope, I hope very much that, that England can, can go all the way because I think that would be a, a momentous thing for the women's game in this country and, you know, to see, I think the the as Molly was saying, I think the if England can keep progressing, the kind of energy and the buy-in from everyone will will pick up and it will drown out all of the cynics and the naysayers, and and that'd be a good thing. Okay, we'll hope the positive train will keep on rolling. England taking on Spain in a massive quarterfinal at the Euros. We'll react to that. Of course, we will on Thursday. We'll look ahead to the remainder of the knockout games as well. But thank you all for listening. Thank you, Molly Hudson, Gregor Robertson, and of course, to Casey Stoney. Remember, we will be back on Thursday. Hit subscribe to make sure you do not miss an episode. And of course, if you want more of our great content around the women's Euros and all of our great 
award-winning journalism from the times then check it out online make sure you subscribe there as well you can download the times app or you can go to the times.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on thursday